know, it's awful quiet in here and I don't say anything. <laughs> Our uh, scripture lesson is found in Romans 6 and is actually 1 through 14, actually. Uh, I had a 1 there before the 4. 6, 1, Romans 6, 1. <clears throat> What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Our text for tonight actually is Romans 6.14, where we read, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. This text is one of the most misused and misunderstood verses in the Bible. Many times when I have been speaking to people, and I speak of the fact that God expects believers to obey his commandments as the evidence of their salvation, They quote the second part of this text to me, which says, You are not under law, but under grace. These people are guilty of isolating this text from its immediate context, and also from many other texts in the Bible. These people are right as far as it is, Jesus dying for our sins and his perfect obedience to God's law alone being the basis of our eternal salvation. And God's grace alone enabling us to believe these truths. 
But as we will see from Scripture tonight, there are many texts indicating the evidence of our salvation is indicated by our more and more putting off sin and more and more putting on righteousness. What is righteousness? Obedience to God's commandments. Obedience to God's law. Remember the definition of sin is any want of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. So then the converse is true that righteousness is conformity to and obedience to the law of God. As we examine this text today, we're going to see the error of these people who try to eliminate God's law from their lives. And we will be reminded of the great blessings that come from giving evidence of salvation by grace alone through joyful, loving obedience to God's law. And actually, this error is not new, but has plagued the Christian church since the time of the apostles. As a matter of fact, Romans 6 may have been written to deal with people in the Roman church who taught this false doctrine. People who reject the law in this way have become to be known as antinomians, which means those who are against the law. Nomos is law in the Greek, and anti, of course, is against, against the law. Now we're going to consider our text, and we're going to ask and answer three questions. First, what does it mean to be under the law? Second, what does it mean To not be under the law, but under grace. Third, what does it mean to not be under the law, but under grace, now that we are believers? So we'll go right away to our first question. What does it mean to be under the law? When we speak of being under the law, we mean God's moral law as revealed in the Old and New Testament, and especially the Ten Commandments. God gave us his commandments so we could know what is required of us to enter heaven and not go to hell. In Leviticus 18.5, we read God's positive statement about his law. There it says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And it's not just mean live, be alive on this earth, but live. There would be eternal life. So if anyone could keep God's law perfectly, God said that he would give eternal life to that person. Then in Deuteronomy 27, 26, we read God's negative statement about his law. There we read, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by doing them. In this verse, we see very clearly that there's no room for sin. If we don't keep all of God's law perfectly, we are cursed to eternal separation from him, which will be eternal torment. Only Jesus kept God's law in perfection. And it's interesting, I should note here, a little bit of an aside, but important to remember this, that uh, Jesus 
when he died on the cross, he wasn't there for anything he did or did not do. He was there for our sins. Our sins. And it said right there in that Leviticus 18.5 that the one who does them shall live in them. So when God's wrath was satisfied against our sins, Jesus, the true human being, was raised from the dead. The grave couldn't hold him. God had said if anyone obeyed his law perfectly, they would live. So once our sins were paid for, God was satisfied. His wrath was satisfied against us. Jesus had to be raised. Jesus, the true human being, had to be raised from the dead because God said so. Scripture says, let God be true and every man a liar. So ultimately, God gave us his law so that we could see what sinners we are. And just in case we are arrogant enough to think we can keep his commandments perfectly, he gave us verses like Romans 3, 10 and 11. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Or Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Of course, let's not forget Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As we honestly measure ourselves against the Ten Commandments, we know that these verses speak the truth about all of us. Just so there could be no mistake, God has given us some verses of Scripture that clearly show God's purpose for the law as far as we are concerned. In Galatians 3, 21 through 24, we read these words. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. If if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. The law was our teacher to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. As we're confronted with the necessity of keeping God's law perfectly in order to have eternal life in heaven... We should fall on our knees as the publican and cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The law is our tutor to bring us to Christ so that we may be saved through faith in Jesus. God's grace, mercy, and salvation are found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other Savior, as Acts 4.12 says, Uh, There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. So basically, we see no one can be justified 
before God by keeping his law. We are not capable of keeping his law in perfection. And I should add this, this note, um, which is, is important. Um, Jesus not only obeyed in perfection to the letter, he always had the right attitude in mind in his obedience, the glory of God. That was part of his perfection, that he obeyed the law with a perfect attitude, the glory of God. That's something we don't have, obviously, dead in sins and trespasses. And this brings us to our second question. What does it mean to not be under the law, but under grace? Well, grace has been defined as unmerited favor. We did not deserve anything but God's wrath. And yet God gave us his unmerited favor in his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by God's grace that we see that our sin separates us from God and dooms us to an eternity of misery. Then it's by God's grace that we can repent of our sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Remember, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is probably going through your minds. Mature Christians, you know those verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of our works, lest any man should boast. Our seeing our sin, our repentance, our faith in Christ, our persevering in the faith to the end, all of our salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are not under the law anymore because Jesus kept the law perfectly for us. And then he took the punishment for our sins. Praise God. Praise God. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 puts it this way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, us, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Pastor Dick was talking about this morning. And now we come to the final question, which is, what does it mean to be under the law, to not be under the law? I'm sorry, I missed that word there. What does it mean to not be under the law, but under grace now that we are believers? And this is really what Romans 6 is all about. In this chapter, Paul is calling the Roman Christians and all Christians throughout the ages. It's God's word. Throughout the ages. He's calling us to live a life of righteousness to show we truly belong to Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. The beginning of Romans 6 in verses 1 and 2 shows us this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Now you're probably not going to have trouble believing this, but there were people who started believing, well, if the more I sin, the more of God's grace is needed, so God is going to show me grace. And Rasputin, the mad monk of uh, Russian, who uh, influenced uh, the Russian royalty, uh, he, 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 that was what he taught, that if he sinned the more, God would have to show him more grace. It's twisted, yes, very twisted, but uh, there are people who twist a lot of things, sad to say, in Scripture. There's so many cults and false uh, Christian, Christianity, they call themselves by the name of Christ, but they're far away from the Christ of Scriptures. The beginning, again, of, of Romans 6 is clear. Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? So it's really hard to believe that with the, there are two verses actually in, the, in Romans 6 that speak of that. It's uh, verse 15 also. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And then again, certainly not. Those verses are in there. and you would, How do they twist it the way they do? But they do. Satan is the great deceiver. It is precisely the fact that we are now under God's grace that we are enabled to obey him as we never could when we were spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses. Now, what are we talking about? Well, of course, we're talking about, the, about God's moral law as revealed in the Ten Commandments. And any commandments given by Jesus and his apostles and inspired writers of the New Testament. Now, we know that the Old Testament civil, dietary, and ceremonial laws have been done away with by clear pronouncements in the New Testament. We don't need to go to all of them. But remember, all of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament, either implicitly or explicitly. God even inspired some of the Old Testament prophets to speak about how born-again believers will regard his commandments. Let's look at a couple of those verses. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh new heart we would be given when the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again. And we read more, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And you'll have the right motivation because you have now have God the Holy Spirit and a new heart and now you want to obey God to glorify him. And we can also look at Psalm 119 and uh, verses 7 through 16 there. Uh, and uh, we'll learn how true, again, believers, again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit should be seeing God's law. Uh, beginning at verse 7. 
I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. When we're born again into Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit entered us and we became new creatures, new creations. The old desires and attitudes passed away and we now have new desires and attitudes. We don't see righteousness as a burden as does the people of the world. We, out, we now understand righteousness is the way to glorify God and enjoy life more abundant. We don't envy the, envy the world and all its sin and, and degradation. It seems to be increasing more and more when we have the Holy Spirit within us and teaching we have God's word. We want to do things God's way. Jesus said he came to give life and to give it more abundantly. Now, when Jesus asked which was the greatest commandment of all, he said to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Where do we find specifically how to do this? Are we just supposed to play it by ear and... And love God the best we can, we'll think of some way to do it. And then to love our neighbor, well, we'll think of some way to do it. No. The first four commandments tell us how to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have no other gods before him. Don't make any idols to worship him. Don't take his name in vain. And keep his day holy. Now, how do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Well, the other six commandments tell us, as we start dealing with people, honor our parents. Who are our first neighbors in this world? Our parents. Honor our parents. Don't murder anyone in our minds or actually doing it. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie and don't covet. There are many implications to each commandment. What I recommend is that you go to the Westminster Larger Catechism to learn more of the depth of each of God's blessed commandments. So basically we have seen when we know the love of God in Jesus Christ, we will respond in loving obedience to him. Do you remember what Jesus said when he walked the earth in human form? He said it was his meat. 
Meaning, his greatest desire to do what? To do the will of the Father. As his disciples, our greatest desire should be the same as his. What does the scripture tell us about our minds? It says, now we have the mind of Christ. Especially in regard to desires also, that the attitudes to, to the, towards the law. So we will be fighting against sin in our lives for as long as we live here. But we will also be growing in righteousness, in understanding the commands and what a blessing they are. At this point, it would be good to remind ourselves of what Jesus said to look for, to find out who are false Christians. In Matthew 7, I'll begin at verse 13 there. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See, the groaning in righteousness, good fruit. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Remember at the beginning I talked about anomia? Those anti-nomas, against the law. You who practice lawlessness. What law? God's law. For a born-again believer who has God's law now, Scripture said it, we just read it, has God's law written upon their heart, the law is not a limitation on enjoyment. For a believer, the law of God becomes the way to glorify their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it becomes the way to the abundant life which was promised by Jesus the Apostle John agrees with the Apostle Paul. And we see this in what he was inspired to write in 1 John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. As I said earlier, 
we have seen from the broader context of the Bible in the Old and New Testament, we are not under the law for our justification. Jesus did that for us, but from his words and the words of his apostles, we give evidence that he alone is the basis of our salvation. But, through what we just read, we see from the, his words and the, and the words of the apostles and even the Old Testament prophets, we give evidence we are truly his as we die more and more unto sin and live more and more unto righteousness. Obedience. And I, I want to say it this way. Joyful, loving obedience. That's the way it should be. The right attitude to his commandments. Read the scriptures. Compare scripture with scripture. And that's where we see all of this. And just one last illustration. The time grows late. I want to take this imagery of instruments of righteousness. And we can look at our lives as musical instruments. Then we can see the Bible as the instruction and music book. We can then see the Holy Spirit who indwells us as our teacher and conductor. As we, by God's grace, discipline ourselves to practice loving obedience to God's word, our lives become harmonious and full of joy. We're doing that which we were originally created for, to glorify and enjoy God. First question, the shorter catechism. Before we knew the Lord, we just banged. Ever see little kids bang on the piano? It drives you nuts. You know, will someone do something with that kid? You know, and uh, just it's it's cacophonous. It's not harmonious. And what happened? We were hitting all the wrong notes. We didn't have the right motivation, the right music, or the right teacher. Now that we, by God's grace, are believers, we are saved forever. We are in God's orchestra forever. And now we've got to be learning and practicing holiness every day. I think back to my wasted youth. I'm a pretty good pool player, but I can't play any, I can't read music. But I can play pool. Boy, isn't that good. I'm warning you right now, so if I say, let's put a few bucks on it. It's probably not a good idea to do that with me. But uh, the, the, uh, I wish I had the discipline uh, to learn how to play musical instruments. I really admire our band and my my daughter and my granddaughter and all my, that are learning how to play music. But, it's harmonious when you do that. It's beautiful how they play their musical instruments and help us sing praises to God. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do with our lives in God's orchestra. Be more and more harmonious with our brethren. Now, we've got to become better and better at the instrument that is our life. We do this for God's glory and to be more harmonious with the saints. We must also see that one of the benefits of God's law is to protect us from Satan's deceptions. 
His law is a shield. Remember in the armor of God that the shield of faith quenches all the fiery darts of the devil. When Satan tries to tempt us to break break God's law, we resist by putting up the shield of faith of our salvation and the law of God. Well, we're not going to do that. Not going to, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to commit adultery in my mind or actually I'm not going to hate and so murder someone in my heart. That's, Satan is there. You know, you, know you should do it. The command's there. And, and you say, Amen. Shield of faith in God's law protects us from Satan's tricks. Remember James. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So brothers and sisters, let us rejoice in the fact that we are saved by grace alone and not by our own works. And let us also rejoice in keeping God's commandments, not as the basis of our salvation, but as the evidence of our salvation. Praise God for his commandments. First, that they showed us what sinners we are, so we could trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. Now that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we can obey them as the way to glorify God, find life more abundant by the Holy Spirit, and we can obey them as the way to glorify God, find our lives. He would lose your life for Christ's sake. We'll find it. We find our lives in following Jesus. If you're an unbeliever tonight, God is reaching out to you through this congregation. You've probably heard the gospel many times. There's no other name given under heaven whereby you must be saved. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and you will be saved. May God have mercy on you and give you the grace to believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for your word. We thank you for how clear it is, Lord. The path is clear. The straight and narrow way is clear. Help us, Lord, to love it. Uh, to love you more and more for the grace you've shown us and saving us. And we need your grace, Holy Spirit. We need your grace if we're to, to obey the commands with the right attitude. Your glory, Heavenly Father. And also the, uh, to find that life more abundant that you promised us. Help us, Lord to love you more, to be Christians, not just talk about it, but to really be Christians. And we do pray that you'd come soon, Lord Jesus, and pray in your precious name. Amen.